0: Let's begin with prayer. Let's pray. O God, you are the Lord of heaven and earth, and you are our Lord and Redeemer, who has brought us to yourself, who had gone astray. We pray this day that you would teach us, that you would uh, present the truth before us, that we might apprehend it, understand it, and apply it in our lives. Uh, We pray that you would bless the uh, reading and study and instruction of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to come to chapter 16 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And if you're using the Trinity hymnal that's on page 857 uh, in the hymnal, In just a, a brief review, though, and I've done this a few times now, um, in the Confession of Faith, it talks about effectual calling, which you know, brings us to salvation in Christ. Um, does anyone remember the, the three main benefits that we have in Christ that the Confession of Faith talks about? Anyone? <laughs> I hear some whispers over here. <laughs> one of them starts with a J. Another one starts with an A. Another, oh yes. Sanctification, adoption, and sanctification. Very good. Yes, that's what we were looking for. Um, two of them being acts that affect our status, that we're righteous and we're adopted by God as his children and heirs. And sanctification is that, that work of grace that uh, progressively makes us holy. Uh, that we're more and more like God. And then the confession of faith turned its attention more to um, our, our response, what we do, how we apprehend the salvation, and how that salvation is worked out in our lives. Um, so not necessarily going chron- chronologically here, but going back to faith, saving faith, uh, to repentance unto God. Uh, and then today we come to good works. Um, I want to start by reading uh, from Titus. Titus talks a lot about good works, and I'm going to just read chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, Uh, so listen to what the Apostle Paul had to say. Uh, He said, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Uh, Jesus Christ redeemed us, and uh, he did so that we would be a people that would be his, his own possession, zealous. For good works, uh, and so if that is what we ought to be, and what Christ intends for us, and what the grace of God is training us for, uh, we should consider what are good works, what do good works do, what do they not do? Uh, the doctrine here of good works. So, in the confession of faith, I'll go ahead and read the first uh, article, which is basically what what are good works. It it says, Good works are only such as God hath commanded in His holy word, and not such as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention. So, what are good works? Good works are that which God defines as good works. Uh, It is obedience to God's revealed will, uh, which he has revealed in his word. Can you and I make up good works? Can we like, oh, I think this should be a good work. That makes me feel right. This makes me feel holy. No. (laughs) No, no. Now, the King Saul is a good example of someone who kind of consistently came up with his own good works to do. Can anyone think of examples of good works that he came up uh, that would fit this description of without the warrant of God's word, devised by men out of blind zeal, uh, upon pretense of good intention? Can anyone think of things that King Saul did? He did a sacrifice. That, uh, Saul uh, Samuel t- said, "Wait for me here," and and he went to, went ahead with the sacrifice. Yes, obedience is better than sacrifice. It, it was like, hey, it's a sacrifice. This is worship of God. Doesn't he want this? Well, that's not what what God had instructed you to do. Can anyone think of another example from King Saul? He spared, the Amalekites. He spared some of the Amalekites, right? He was told to to to, to wipe them out, devote them to destruction, but Oh, well, he tried to kill David. I'm, I'm not sure that one had as much of a pretense of good intention, but, uh, but that, was not, that was not something that he ought to have done. Um, but yes, sparing some of the, the best of the Amalekite stuff and King Agag, remember Samuel rebuked him for that as well and actually hacked him to pieces. And then later on in Saul's reign, he started to kill the Gibeonites you know, the Gibeonites, they were, they were Canaanites, they were people of the land, surely God would want me to destroy them, uh, but no, it actually brought judgment down because they had sworn to, uh, to treat them well, to spare them, and so it was again uh, un- under pretense of good intention, blind zeal, but not according to God's revealed will. Um, so in, in the context of the Amalekites, Samuel Uh, said this because Saul had said oh I spared all this stuff so that I could uh, to sacrifice to the Lord your God he says but the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen the best of the things devoted to to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal you know so that's the reason we didn't quite follow all the instructions we thought we would uh, make even a bigger sacrifice to God but then Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying, obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So it's important if we're going to serve the Lord and want to do a good work that we learn from God's word, what is it that God is pleased with? What is it that God has commanded? Uh, And to not think that we can do better than that, uh, that we follow his instructions, because God delights in obedience. He delights when we hear his words and attend to them. So good works are only what God has commanded in the Bible, um, and so that's it. Should be pretty straightforward, but uh, due to man's superstition, whether uh, in Roman Catholicism of old or weird evangelical traditions that pop up from time to time, you know, we we come up with our own ways. So this this must be pleasing to God, um, but we should uh, attend to what He has said. Now, Article Two having looked at what good works are, uh, obedience to his word, then describes what do good works do. Without looking at the article, what are some things that good works do? Can you think of things that, that are accomplished by good works? Any of the children? If you do a good work, what are some of the benefits of having done a good work? Well, that is a good work. But what's good about it? What's that? So it's, a little harder. it's a little harder, yeah. <laughs> a little harder to explain. What are some benefits of good works? Are they good for anything? It's a good question, right? Well, it's good they, they wrote an answer for us here. Let's read Article 2. These good works... Done in obedience to God's commandments, are the fruits and evidence of a true and lively faith, and by them believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, eternal life. All right, so that's a list of a bunch of things. And it's not necessarily comprehensive, but that gives us a good list of things that are done by good works so that good works do. Uh, first of all, they're fruits of a true and lively faith. I like how older English tends to use the word lively when we would use living. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a living faith that's active, that that. that causes us to do things we looked at that when we looked at saving faith by faith we respond believingly to god's word embracing the promises obeying the commands trembling at the threatenings and we looked at that last week's sermon abraham obeying god by faith uh, offering going to offer his son isaac and now james says that this is how uh, our faith is made evidence how it's shown um, the demon's have a certain type of faith. They know that God is one; that He exists, but they don't trust in God, and they don't, by faith, therefore, obey God. Uh, but we who do have this true and lively uh, trust in God will, therefore, produce works, and it's a a, a fruit and evidence. But also by them we manifest our thankfulness. You remember the the woman at Jesus' feet who was. Uh, known as a sinner, and yet who had lavished this hospitality by anointing Jesus. And Jesus said that she loves much because she has been forgiven much. Uh, That she was aware of the forgiveness that came in Jesus Christ. She had faith in him. And so she responded by loving much uh, and by doing this good work that, that Jesus was pleased with. Oh, how do we show that we're thankful for God's salvation? It's by doing good works, by serving Him. We also edify the brethren. Um, Paul talks about how the, the giving of certain saints when he's writing in Second Corinthians 9 stirs up other saints to, to do likewise. It provokes one another to love and good deeds. When we start doing this work, that others are provoked to do so as well. Or maybe the very good work itself is helping someone else. Like when we give someone food and clothing and and they're strengthened and encouraged by that good work. Or when we're like salt and light in the world and they see our good works, they give glory to God who is in heaven. Uh, So these good works are a benefit to your neighbor, uh, especially to your brothers. I think it emphasizes brothers here because it's about to say some other things that have relevance for uh, unbelievers in particular. Because uh, it goes on to say that adorns the profession of the gospel. And so you profess the, the gospel. You profess to believe in Jesus Christ. But we don't want to leave that profession naked and unadorned. You know, you want to beautify that. You want to adorn it. And Paul uses that language. Uh, Peter does too. Uh, we adorn it with good works uh, to um, show its true power. It's interesting, it's both Titus 2.10 and 1 Timothy 2.10. So, 2.10 is about adorning uh, with godliness. What befits women who profess godliness? Good works. Uh, This is how we uh, adorn that. And then, similar to that, it stops the mouths of the adversaries. So, the unbeliever might first of all see that you say that you believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior, and they see that grace at work in your life, and they see that you are a new creation, uh, that this is the way of God, uh, this is the character of God, that there is uh, a true work going on here, and be attracted to that. Um, On the other hand, there are those who might uh, want to attack the gospel or attack the church of Jesus Christ and take any opportunity to use... Your sins against Christ to use your sins against the church, but you can stop the mouths of the adversaries by doing good works so that they don 't have that handle to grab hold on uh, that you are uh, defending the honor of Christ uh, by leaving a good testimony to him by your works. Um, peter and Paul describe that as well Titus two five or first peter two fifteen talking to uh, to wives or to servants or to others that uh, we stop the mouths of the adversaries by our good works, but then of course, what ought we to do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we ought to do it to the glory of God, right, and what is, how is God glorified but by uh, us bearing good fruit? And this is in John. 15 Jesus says by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples so our good works not only edify your your neighbor and uh, adorn the gospel but they also glorify God and that should be your aim in everything is to please God to glorify God, to magnify His His uh, glory on the earth, and to serve Him, who is your Maker and your Redeemer. Uh, what do we learn from the preface to the first commandment, or to the Ten Commandments? How, do, how are the Ten Commandments introduced? Yes, yeah, so that's... That's the, the preface. And, and so, what do we learn from that? Any of the kids with coloring pages have the answer in front of them? <laughs> yes? Yes. Uh, because he is the, the Lord, um, because he's our God, because he's the, our Redeemer. Therefore, we are bound to keep his commandments. So, we show our gratitude to him, we seek to glorify him, we give honor to whom honor is due. Uh, So already in that short phrase, there are several reasons for us to do good works. Um, And the last one here, um, whose workmanship they are created in Christ Jesus there unto, that's from Ephesians 2, that were created unto good works that God has prepared beforehand. Um, Not saved by works, but created unto good works. And then it borrows language from... Romans 6, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, eternal life. Uh, Good works are not the basis for our receiving eternal life. We're going to get to that in a minute. But it is like the pilgrim pathway to that city. You know, what is the end of of sin? The end is death. The wages that you get is death. Uh, What is the end of, of good works, of the service of righteousness? Well, it's not anything you earn. It's a gift. But the end of it is eternal life. Uh, and that's Paul's point this is a much better service than that old service that you used to have service unto sin but now service unto righteousness it's a blessed thing having fruit unto holiness that you may have the end the, the telos the goal you know what's the end of the road? eternal life so good works are great we should be zealous for them seek to collect as many as you can not really collect do <laughs> produce them All right, so Article 3. We have a lot of articles here. Article 3, which is about good works and grace. It says, Their ability to do good works is not at all of themselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ, and that they may be enabled thereunto, besides the graces they have received, there is required an actual influence of the same Holy Spirit to work in them to will and to do of His good pleasure, Yet are they not hereupon to grow negligent, as if they were not bound to perform any duty unless upon a special motion of the Spirit, but they ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace of God that is in them. All right, so why, how are you able to do good works? By the Spirit Right, right, by the Spirit of Christ, God's grace... Uh, this is God's grace that enables you to do good works and continually is working in you to will and to do His good pleasure. Um, there's both an initial conversion, these graces implanted in you, these, these seeds of godliness, and then uh, there is a continual work of the Spirit so that you might do good works. You see that in Ezekiel 36 or in Philippians 2. But does that mean you should just sit back and and wait till the Spirit moves before you do a good work? No? Does that mean that you should um, just kind of go with the flow? You're going to naturally produce good work so you don't need to try. It's just going to happen naturally if you're a believer. So you don't really need to do anything. Is that right? no i mean it's a little tricky because there's some truth to that right it will be a natural product of god's grace but it doesn't mean you should grow negligent it doesn't mean you should grow lazy or slothful or irresponsible we should be zealous for good works right uh to stir ourselves up to stir these graces up that are within us and to do good works by the spirit to put to death the sin that is in you by the spirit so it's by the spirit but you should do it (laughs) um but on in reliance upon him so don't grow negligent but in the end you give glory to god for the good that he works within you all right article four is basically saying there's no extra credit assignments by god all right so here it says they who in their obedience attain to the greatest height which is possible in this life are so far from being able to super-arrogate and to do more than God requires as that they fall short of much which, in duty, they are bound to do. So you know how maybe in a class or in an assignment you might have things that you're supposed to do and maybe you didn't do very well and you try to have a better grade and, and so someone says, well, if you do these extra stuff, then maybe you can bump your grade up. I don't know if you ever... Got extra credit so much that you actually got more than one hundred percent, right? And you kind of got more than you needed. Um, that's not the way it works with God. God doesn't give you, oh, this is what you have to do, and then if you really want to do more, you could do this extra stuff, and then if you have extra merit left over, you can share that with others. That's that's not the way it works. That's the way that. Uh, roman catholic church began to teach that it kind of worked that way that the saints some of them you know were martyrs they laid down their lives they had this extra merits that they deposited in a treasury for you and and you can get it through an indulgence but um can we do more than god requires what does god require everything right our whole body soul strength minds with all your heart can you do more than all your heart You know, can you love him with more than all your heart? Uh, And can we even do what he requires? The point here is that even the most holy of people, and some people are more holy than others, even believers, but even the most holy are still going to fall short of even what they're required to do, so they can't do above and beyond that you should rest on their merits, rather you should trust in Christ. And that relates to Article 5 here as well. We cannot, by our best works, merit pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God by reason of the great disproportion that is between them and the glory to come and the infinite distance that is between us and God, whom, by them, we can neither profit nor satisfy for the debt of our former sins. But when we have done all we can, we have done but our duty and our unprofitable servants. And because, as they are good, they proceed from His Spirit... And as they are wrought by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's judgment. So, by our good works, can we cancel out the sins that we've done? Is that that the way it works before a judge? You know, like, oh, you murdered someone, but you know, you were really kind to that person over there, so that, uh, or is that going to work before God? And even if you were perfect, even if there were no sins, do your sins earn eternal life? Uh, Do they earn these rewards? Or is that merely what you were supposed to do to begin with? Uh, Jesus taught a parable about servants who, at the end of their day, realize they're unworthy servants, they've only done their duty. Uh, Luke 17. Uh, So, by obeying God, we're not doing anything special. We're not doing above and beyond what's already required. And so our works have no merit to gain eternal life and much less to uh, satisfy for the sins that we have committed. Uh, For both of those things, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And they can't profit God. He's not in need of our works. Uh, Neither can they satisfy for the debt of sin. And you can only do them because of God's grace. So it's not like you're going to earn God's grace by the works because they themselves are the fruit of God's grace. And as they are done by us, they're not so perfect as to endure the severity of God's judgment. Um, Even the good works that we do, uh, if God was to judge them as his purity demands, um, apart from Christ, they would not uh, endure the test. So, there's no meritorious works. But then Article 6 talks about how God does indeed accept the good works of Christians through Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, "...notwithstanding the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in Him." not as though they were in this life wholly unblamable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. Now, this, is, this should be encouraging because if our goal is to please God and yet we know that God is completely holy uh, and that our work's are not meritorious, the, the temptation is to think that no matter what you do, you're going to disappoint God. That nothing, nothing is going to please God. You know, before we're Christians, we know that all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. You know, even the best things we do cannot please God. So why even try it? Can we, can we please God any more by the good things that we do? Well, in Jesus Christ, our spiritual services to Him, our good works not just our persons, but even the works that we do, are accepted by God and even rewarded by God. Now, it's not because God doesn't see literally any sin in our lives. In this life, he can still reprove us. He can still correct us. Um, he can see the weaknesses and imperfections in a fatherly way and, and discipline us for them. In that respect, the Confessions guarding against the type of antinomianism. Um, but it is saying that God looks upon your person and your service of him through the Lord Jesus Christ that he is valuing your works more than they deserve more than they would merit and by strict judgment and the way a father might receive the works of his children which are not necessarily works that his father uh, needs or or are uh, deserving of all the attention he gives them. He's valuing, valuing them through the Son. But he also, uh, the imperfections, the sins are washed by Christ, are received through his intercession, so that the goodness of those works, that sincerity that has been produced by his grace that an unbeliever does not exercise. The unbeliever does not love God, uh, is, is in rebellion against God. The believer is different. He loves God. He seeks to glorify God. And that which is sincere is accepted by God. If we look in First Peter, for example, First Peter, chapter two, verse five, he says. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so the uh, spiritual sacrifices of of worship and good works are acceptable to God. God, uh, Christ presents them before him, and he is pleased with them. Uh, he delights in them. Uh, he says well done, good and faithful servant at the end. He says you've been faithful with little and now here is more. In Hebrews 13 it speaks of how he works in us that which is well pleasing in his sight. And so that should be an encouragement to him, that, to, to us that, that you can do things that are pleasing in the sight of your father. Uh, that you don't shouldn't become proud about them or boast about them but uh, you can do that work uh, with the knowledge that you are uh, serving your god in a way that uh, he is uh, pleased with and it's to his glory so a real change has been effected so we can do good works God receives these works in grace and mercy, honoring them more than they merit and with the imperfections washed away by the blood of Christ. So they're not filthy rags anymore. They're white and pure linen, the righteous deeds of the saints, as Revelation says. Now, Article 7 speaks then of the works of unbelievers, and this is the last one here in the chapter. Works done by unregenerate men though for the matter of them they may be things which God commands, and of good use both to themselves and others, yet because they proceed not from a heart purified by faith, nor are done in a right manner according to the word, nor to a right end to the glory of God, they are therefore sinful and cannot please God, or make a man meet to receive grace from God, and yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing unto God. Can unregenerate men do good works? No. Yes and no. <laughs> they can do them outwardly. They can do things that, in the matter, they're uh, you know, are things that God has commanded, but they don't do them in the right way. Uh, so that uh, when you look at the full context, they are in fact uh, not just not good works; they're sinful, you know, rebellious works. But Uh, there are things that unregenerate can do. Ahab had a sort of repentance that uh, he humbled himself before God and and God uh, relented for a time uh, because of that. Or Jehu uh, obeyed God in a sense uh, by uh, executing his judgment although uh, he remained, it seems, unregenerate. He continued in rebellion against. He did not turn his heart to love and serve uh, the Lord his God. And so they did things that were good, but they did not uh, do them in a right way. Uh, For it to be a good work, it must come from a believing heart. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, uh, says Hebrews 11. It must be done in a right manner, according to God's word. Paul says, if I make great sacrifices and lay down my body and I have not love, is it worth anything? It has to be done in the right way. And is it done for the right end? Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. The Pharisees did some good things. They gave alms to the poor. But were those good works? They did it for the praise of man. They received their reward by receiving the praise of man. Uh, But they were not good in God's sight. And so because the works of unregenerate men fail in these ways, uh, even though their good works can profit themselves in some ways, Uh, can help others. We're usually thankful for them. You know, the the good works that unbelievers do in society that can help get food on your table and, uh, and make life more pleasant and secure. Yet they're sinful and unpleasing to God and cannot make a person fit for salvation. God doesn't say, do good enough, and then if you're kind of fit for salvation, then I'll give you salvation. No, those who are in the flesh... Cannot please God. It's a work of His grace. But does that mean that we should say, well, sinners can't please God if you're unregenerate? Everything you do is sinful, therefore don't even try. Uh, No, they should still obey God. The neglect of good works is even worse. You know, uh, you can be judged and then get judged more for for doing more sin. Um, The neglect of these works is more sinful, more displeasing to God you don't have to be convinced of someone's regeneration before telling them to do something good. Uh, It is their duty. They ought to do it. And it's worse if they don't do it. But of course, uh, we should also tell them to, you know, uh, repent unto God and to uh, find salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, But it's not wrong to tell all people in society to not murder, right? Um, Or for... Uh, uh, king darius to honor god as one who had delivered daniel even if he wasn't regenerate Uh, it is good for god to gain glory before men and for people to do what is right Uh, but then of course we should call them to more than that uh, to receive salvation in jesus christ And that is the chapter of Good Works. Uh, Any questions here about the chapter of Good Works? Next week, we'll look at the Perseverance of the Saints, uh, which is a shorter chapter, uh, three articles. Uh, But let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for directing us in the way which is good. Uh, we uh, pray that you would uh, lead us in these good works, that you would cause us to be zealous for them, uh, that you would work in us to will and to do your good pleasure, working in us that which is pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ. We thank you for this Uh, great privilege, the ability to serve you uh, and to live with you, to serve you without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.